best cook in town. <laughs> Sound cook, a change is going to come. A change going to come is a song that continues to make inroads and arouses consciousness. It paints a picture of our struggles and ends in a very emotional sense of prophetic truth that we will overcome. I'm Bob Stewart, and I welcome you to CAP, which is a quest to elevate literary knowledge everywhere. You know, it's really amazing when you think about an artist and how little bits and pieces come together to make up a complete story. And you have no idea when these pieces are formulated that they will make a complete story. And I said that to say this, that my favorite artist of all time is Sam Cooke. Now, why Sam is such a favorite of mine, I don't know other than I enjoyed his music. But there is something I can't explain that draws me to him on many different levels. I am drawn to Sam through his artistry. I'm drawn to Sam through his intellect and his creativity. And I'm drawn to Sam by his political beliefs. But for some reason, at different times in my life that they impacted more than others. And one of those times was, I remember when I first heard that Sam had left us. Now, growing up in the late 50s and 60s, I was influenced by R&B and those artists. And I used to sing with a group, and we used to go around to various places singing. And occasionally, we would sing a Sam Cooke song or one of the Soul Stare songs. And we would always get good responses from admirers. And I remember getting on the subway in 1964, December 11th, and seeing in the headlines, Rock Idol Killed in L.A. And from that day until the present, Sam has been a haunting spirit that I haven't been able to dispel. And I refer to him on many levels many situations in many aspects because of his uniqueness. Now, I wasn't such a great fan of his before his death. I liked his music, but that day, it became an obsession. And so I started listening to his music more intensely, trying to find out what made him write certain kinds of songs. Why did he sing a certain way? And then I explored and pried into his life and was able to discover many aspects of his life and what really made him tick. And I guess what made him tick was the same thing that made Van Gogh and all the great artists of the past tick. It was something a little different, that he could take a song and turn it around in such a way that it would excite people in the same way that Van Gogh could take a brush and draw or paint something that that would excite the world. But Sam could do that with his voice. I became a big fan of his. And from that day until now, every little thing that happened in regards or 
in relationship to Sam became a part of the big story that made the story real and complete for me. And I had the opportunity to meet people very close to Sam. One day I'm sitting in a club in Harlem, and it was a famous club that many of the stars and many of the political personalities and many artists came to just talk and exchange ideas. From Joe Lewis to Langston Hughes, all the artists of that day, Sam, Jackie Robinson, Sugar Ray Robinson, Adam Clayton Powell, Zora Neale Hurston, all of these personalities would come to just exchange ideas with the patrons there. Well, I'm sitting, and a lady comes and sits in the stool next to me, and she says, listen, I'm so sad tonight. And I asked her why. She said, well, my friend died. And naturally, you feel sorry for this person. And so I said, well, what was your friend's name? What happened? She said, he was killed. And I said, well, who was it? She said, Sam Cook. Now, this is years after Sam is dead. It's not like it happened that same day or the day before or the year before. And I couldn't understand why would she come to me and tell me this. Well, I found out that uh, it, it, it seemed like providentially these things happened, that they had been orchestrated by some higher force or some higher power that she would come to me and tell me this, and not only tell me this, but it, later on to be able to give me a wealth of information in regards to Sam Cooke. How he wrote his song, she told me that the song, Another Saturday Night, Sam was flying from Los Angeles to New York, and he wrote that song on the airplane, and that he could just pick up a pen, and whatever occurred to him he could write from it and she even went into the making of a change going to come and I think everybody's familiar with the fact that Bob Dylan wrote Blowing in the Wind which was becoming a civil rights anthem and Sam used to question how could this white boy write such a song that would be so relevant to our call and to our situation and so he was bent on doing something to surpass that. And so that's how the formation of the song, A Change Gonna Come, started to emerge. And Sam wrote that song, A Change Gonna Come First, and I think most importantly, to write something better than what Bob Dylan had written. And the other thing was to be able to convey in an honest way our struggles to a level where the whole world could grasp and see it. And he did. He achieved that. But Sam did something else with that song that most people don't recognize or they don't pay any attention to. That song has been around for over 50 years now, A Change Gonna Come. And I think it's one of the songs, out of all the songs that's been written in America, that's probably going to outlast most of the songs because it's got the longevity ingredients in it. And what is the longevity ingredient? Why do people still listen to Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, and Mendelssohn? 
is because they have ingredients, instruments in those songs that are not dated and refuse to become dated. When you listen to a Mendelssohn or a Beethoven song, whether they are born 10 years ago or yesterday or 200 years ago, they have the same appreciation. And why is that? It's the instruments in it. It's the strings, the French horn, it's the timpani, and it's the snare drums. And that is what's in a change going to come. There's no guitar, there's no bass line, there's no piano. There's none of the instruments that make modern day sound. It is all symphonic. And when you listen to that song, if you listen carefully, you can even feel the movement. And so sound was such a great artist to be able to take a song and our situation and put it on that level, put it on that plane. And what does it mean? It means that we are more documented in a historical sense than we would be if it was done in a modern day genre. And so the longevity of the song, as the song continued to live simply because of its merit, the message will be conveyed for another 100 or 200 years because the message has been carried by something that will never die. The movement, the instrument, the sound, the technique, that will never die. And as we listen to Beethoven and all of those other artists and appreciate them, we will be able to do the same on the change going to come. Now that just to say one aspect of Sam. This lady, Dolly, was able to give me information about Sam Cooke that is invaluable. The work of that which she gave me surpasses all dollars and cents. In the sense, it is the truth, and it is the genius, and it's what made Sam Cooke. Not that Sam was just a great singer. He would have been able to sing in anybody's arena. But that he had talents that surpassed that. His compassion for his sons, for his audience, for his people surpassed that. And what he was conflicted with is that he knew that God had given him the spirit of an artist. And what does that mean? That he's universal that he should be able to tap into everybody, that he should be able to have some impact on everybody. And this message should be applicable to everybody. And that was what was unique about Sam. And the fact that he was singing initially only gospel songs, which said, listen, you cannot leave this structure. You can't leave this arena. And if you do, then you will be punished. That was the taboo in regard to gospel singers and their music at that time. That if you came out of that circle, that gospel circle, and went into the secular world, that God would punish you. And Sam fought with that idea. That was the most conflicting thing in his life. And in as much as it was conflicting, it was the thing that really also contributed to his artistry. And so... He finally broke that. He broke that barrier, and in breaking that barrier, he was able to do something that's very unique. He was able to universalize his music. 
America has only two forms of music that it can call its own, and that is blues and gospel. And jazz somehow comes out of both of those. And he was able to take that form of music and make it live forever. He was able to take the gospel music and fuse it with jazz, fuse it with country and western, fuse it with pop, and give it that soul sound. And that was the birth of really soul music. An artist came up with the slogan once, sound the man who invented soul, because of what he did with that sound. He took that gospel sound and made it a part of all forms of music. And that was one of the unique things about Sam Cooke. But you can just go off on any and many levels about Sam Cooke. I had a very close friend named Granville Lee, who was a genius of a musician. And he was responsible for a group that I had recorded called Free Expression. And getting that group to go out to Chicago and to perform at the Black Expo exhibit. This is a big thing that was promoted by Jet Magazine that went to major cities throughout the country doing things that highlighted black hair products and black uh, cultural things. My group was selected to go there to perform, and my friend Dolly said, when you go to Chicago, go to Reverend Cook's house and talk to him and tell him that I sent you. So we go to Chicago, and we're well-received by the Cook family, And not only the Cook family, but by many of Sam's friends. And they fed us all kinds of information in regards to Sam. And they really enjoyed talking about Sam growing up in Chicago and how he was involved with different groups and things like that. And even when he would come back to Chicago on visits to see his relatives and friends and how he liked for certain ones to cook certain dishes for him that he loved chitlins, collard greens, potato salad, cornbread, and all that. Those soul dishes and how Sam would enjoy those meals. And so all those things give you a greater understanding of the person. You know, there are things that give you some insight into what really makes Sam. And I think he was such a unique person. Too bad we lost him. And I am, I am now sort of conflicted as to how Sam really died. You know, Sam had made many enemies because of his independence. Because of his entrepreneurship, Sam made many enemies because black artists had been exploited a great deal up until that time. Those major companies would take their songs, claim rights to them, get the publishing, and these artists would end up poor. Sam was one of the first black artists to form his own publishing company. He started his record company right after Motown. He had a record label called SAR Records, and he had a number of artists that went on to become major artists, really big artists, such as Bobby Wowat, who happened to be my cousin. He had an artist named Mel Carter, the Sim Twins, and a few more. I remember one time someone asked Sam, what would be your greatest achievement? And Sam said, I would like to have 10 artists on the top 10. And he was capable of doing that. One thing about Sam is that Sam 
would have an impact on these artists in such a way that they tried to copy his style. When you listen to their music, you can hear the cook cuttering in their voices. And when you listen to Bobby Womack, you'll hear Sam. And not only the artists that he recorded, when you listen to some of the major artists of the day, and if you talk to Smokey Robinson, he'll tell you that the artist that had the greatest impact on him was Sam Cooke. And Rod Stewart said he locked himself in his room for 10 years and listened to Sam Cooke. Nobody but Sam Cooke. And artists would mimic and, and copy things that Sam did. Uh, Sam put the E to his name. His name was Sam Cook. But Sam wanted to be different, so he added the E to it and made the C-O-O-K-E. Well, Marvin Gaye went and did the same thing. <laughs> One of Marvin's true things was he wanted to do like Sam. He wanted to perform in places like Sam, be able to do that kind of style, not just do R&B. And remember, Sam was one of the first R&B soul artists to perform at the Cobra. The Copa was known for artists like Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Jimmy Durante, and all of those artists, Dean Martin, all these real Vegas-type artists. And Sam was the first R&B artist to go into the Copa. Sammy Davis was considered a pop artist. Davis was able to get into the Copa because of Sinatra. And you know, Sinatra got a lot of black artists in there later. But Sinatra was probably also one of the most liberal artists of that time who didn't have any racial hang-ups, not like most of the people of that time. But anyway, when Sam went to the couple for the first time, it was after Darling You Send Me became a pop hit. That record sold a million and a half copies in 1957, and it crossed over and became number one on the Billboard chart. And after that, they brought Sam into the couple. And when he went into the Copa, he went in for a 10-show, one-week engagement. And after a few nights, in there, they canceled the appointment because he didn't have the material to really entertain that crowd. And that haunted Sam, the fact that he wasn't good enough. That's the first time that he had failed at anything. His whole objective was to get back into the Copa. And seven years later, in 1964, the COVID decided they would take another chance from Sam. Well, at that point, he had a number of number one hits. He had become a household name. The only artist after Presley on the RCA labor who sold the most records. So he was a big artist. And Sam goes into the COVID the second time. He's got a new manager, manager by the name of Alan Klein, who's got a lot of influence, who later went on to manage the Beatles and do a lot of other things. There's some question about his honesty and stuff, uh, that Sam wanted to break away from him shortly before he was killed. But anyway, uh, Sam goes back in there in July of 1964. And the Copa brought him in during that time because normally... The best artists didn't perform in venues like that in the summertime. And so they brought Sam in there to see if he could do it. 
And every night for that Copa's engagement, he rocked the Copa. He turned it into, as Sam would call it, a hootenanny. And they had a time of their life. But after that, the Copa gave Sam a $25,000 Rolls Royce, signed him to a 10-year contract to come there once a year. And I know many friends who went to the Copa that night and brother, they related to me how Sam performed. What a job he did. And that was a, a fantastic thing. Well, shortly after that, a few months after that, we lost Sam. But Sam was on the verge of, of freeing himself from his manager and a lot of other things because of, uh, of that dishonesty or that questionable dishonesty. I think some of those things may have contributed to Sam's demise. This lady in Los Angeles, Miss Bertha Franklin, allegedly was the person who killed Sam. And you wonder why would a 55-year-old lady shoot such an artist? And when they had the inquest in, uh, in California, the court would not even allow the questions to be answered in regards to Sam's death. They just rushed through the whole thing. And not only that, the the lady supposedly that Sam went to the club with a lady by the name of Lisa Boyer turned out to be a mob prostitute. And she's the one Sam went to this motel with that night. She was arrested two weeks later for prostitution. So there's a lot of questionable things about Sam's death that still need to be investigated. Whether they will or not, I doubt it. But we lost a great influence when we lost Sam. We lost a great artist. And all we have now is his music. Dolly, who was Sam's confidant and a dear friend, would tell me when the artists from Motown, like Diana Ross and the Supremes, Stevie Wonder, and all the artists from that area, when they came to New York, they had difficulty finding a place to stay because in Harlem, you only had the Cecil Hotel out on 118th Street between St. Nicholas and Seven. Well, that's where these artists used to live. And if that place was filled, these artists would have to go downtown or go someplace and they were performing at the Apollo and they weren't making that much money because uh, at that time, they were paying them weekly. They didn't get paid by the gig. Many of them, unless they were the headliners. And so they tried to economize as much as possible. So they would stay at the Cecil Hotel. They didn't want to go down to the Waldorf or to some of those more expensive hotels. The Teresa Hotel was there, but it may have been a little more than what they wanted to pay. The Cecil was decent. They had a jazz club downstairs, and the artists would go there. It was, it was one of the great jazz clubs in Harlem. It was called Minton Playhouse. The Cecil Hotel house, the Minton Playhouse. And so Jackie Wilson and all those artists of that time went there to stay. And when artists couldn't get a room, they came to Dolly's place. And they made pallets on the floor. And they slept there and would get up and go back to the parlor and perform. She had a welcoming spirit. And I guess Sam would tell people to go see Dolly when they came to Harlem, and she would do the same, as she did many years later when she sent me to Sam's family. This song for Sam was a huge marker in his career, 
you can feel the struggle of the civil rights movement in this song. And it speaks to the entire black community and to everyone that has ever been faced with overcoming obstacles. It's sad and it strengthens at the same time. It allows you to reflect and then it inspires you to overcome. I encourage you to listen to Sam Cooke's A Change Gonna Come and imagine what it had to be like in that era during the civil rights movement for a man like Sam who was making his own way in a world that championed the idea of constantly creating obstacles for all people of color.